This podcast is entitled Social Networking 3.0. It was recorded during the Always On Stanford Summit in July 2007 and is brought to you by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. For more podcasts, visit edcorner.stanford.edu. I think for five years now we've been saying that user-generated content, social networking were the drivers of the post-bubble uh, internet business. Uh, this year, uh, as I t- talked about on opening night, we talked about discovery, internet discovery being the third major driver in our opinion. Uh, uh, we also saw uh, great re- uh, presentations about uh, new virtual reality communities, uh, which in our view is just yet another extension of social networking, uh, which is going to you know, keep driving more and more of us uh, online doing fun and crazy things. And so I think you're going to see uh, this. I'm, I've been very excited uh, to, to, uh, for this panel discussion that's about to come up. I think you're going to see us showcasing the whole social networking move, movement for many, many years uh, ahead of us. And uh, as always, <clears throat> we really appreciate that we've had the support of Charlene Lee, who, of course, is a senior analyst at Forrester Research, who we believe on the analyst side is, is really the leading thinker and social networker within the social networking community. So without further ado, uh, let's all welcome Charlene Lee. So good afternoon. And the panel we're going to have today is, is going to be very interesting. It's about social networking 3.0. When I first heard that title, I was like, can we call it something else other than 3.0? Um, so what we're going to do is call the panel up. But I think that when we define what we're looking at, the time scope isn't the next six months or the next uh, 12 months. We're looking at three to five years. And I'm actually told the panel to think about it 10 years out to really think far out in the future, to really push our thinking and understanding of where the space is going. So why don't you come over one more. And we're going to have them quickly introduce themselves, and then we're going to go into the first question. All right, Travis, why don't you go? Uh, I'm Travis Katz. I'm the SVP and general manager of MySpace internationally, so I run MySpace outside the U.S. I'm Dustin Moskowitz. I'm one of the co-founders and the vice president of engineering for Facebook.com. Hi, I'm Richard Rosenblatt. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Demand Media. My name's Gina Bianchini, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Ning. I'm Carl Jacob. I'm the founder and CEO of Wall. Okay, so the way we're going to run this panel is we're going to have, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. I have quite a few to choose from here for the panel. They're going to talk about things. And I also would like to have the audience also contribute your thoughts and ideas. I'm at the panel here, too, so people want to ask questions online. So let me start out, and I'm going to ask all of you to respond to this. We're thinking about, again, social networking way out in the future, three to five years, ideally 10 years out. So I want your vision of what is it going to look like, what is it going to feel like, and how is it going to be really different from what you have today? So I'm going to put you on the hot spot here. So I'll start off by saying I have no idea. <laughs> and Honest answer. every time you think that you know what's going to happen, somebody comes up with some great new idea that you haven't thought of. I can tell you a little bit about where I think we're going based on, on what we're seeing today. So if you think about what are the fundamental things people do on social networks, it's about expressing yourself, it's about connecting with people, it's about discovering new things, whether it's people or culture. And I think those things will remain the same. I think what's going to change is 
how people are doing it, where they're doing it. So with MySpace, one of the things we're seeing is we're transforming the company into a global network. We're actually live in 18 countries. We're launching in a new country every three months. And we're starting to see people from around the world embrace it. They're using it in different ways in different countries. But it's very quickly creating a network where you can connect with people around shared interests no matter what country you're, you're in. If you think about where you do it as well, things like mobile, which has become a huge initiative so that you can interact with your friends, connect wherever you go from your pocket. Um, I think people are going to start taking social networking with them. And then I think the way that people are expressing themselves is the third piece. So as broadband is increasing and the technology tools become easier, you start to see already people with things like slideshows, things like videos. I think that's going to continue to increase. We recently bought a company called Flector, which allows people to online, you know, put together very rich videos, piece together music, and make very professional quality things in a few clicks. It's quite easy. And I think as those tools start to come out, people will be able to express themselves in more creative ways and more kinds of media. So if I were to think of, of how it's going to look, I think those are the kinds of things that are going to be the driving forces behind it. Uh, so I think those, those are really good points. There's, there's definitely going to be a lot of changes that will enable the consumer to use social networking in new ways. But it, I think one of the, the really core differences in the future will just be that the ubiquity of social networking. Um, so, you know, that's definitely been something that, that really changed email in the past couple of decades. But the, the technology wasn't really the driving factor there. A lot of people are still using Unix clients that were, that were built in the 80s to read email. Um, but the fact that anybody that you, you come across, you can pretty much guarantee they have an email address and, and that's an accepted means of communication, has really changed uh, the way people interact. And I've even noticed, like, uh, when I'm filling out forms in, in real life, um, I've seen a lot of them that, that don't even ask you for your address or your phone number anymore. It's just not necessary to, to be able to maintain communication with you, and, and all they really need is your email address. Um, and I think that, you know, 10 years from now, it's pretty safe assumption that, that almost everyone who's an internet user will be participating in social networking, and that will really change what you're, what you're able to do and uh, the types of applications that um, you'll be able to use just because you can depend on, on everyone being available. Same question? Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. I think that social networking and um, user-generated content is kind of becoming the grammar of the internet. You really just expect it now, and I think that's going to grow. What I do think is going to happen is that social networking is going to go much more personal and much more vertical. And, and by that, I think that you've seen the larger social networks um, are a lot like how portals are. They're going to still be very important, but there's going to be a large group of people that are going to want to personalize their own profile. So you know, one of the reasons why we've gotten involved in the domain business is we think that at some point, all profiles get named. Just like in the days of GeoCities, where you had millions of websites that were all on one platform. They then broke out into their own URLs. We think if you look at a MySpace, for instance, there's 100 million profiles. Each of those are like mini websites that are going to want their own domain name. And we also think that social networking is going to become very vertical. So you'll start to see a lot of growth in many niche verticals that you're going to have passionate people, much like the groups that you see today on social networks, will actually break out into their own websites. And you'll start to see those communities develop. Totally just set me up. That was awesome. I really appreciate that. So I fundamentally believe where we're at right now in the evolution of social networking is much where we were in 93, 94, 95, where you had AOL, CompuServe, Prodigy, uh, phenomenal services in terms of getting people online, getting them email addresses, getting them uh, comfortable with chat rooms and the concept of pages. 
And what the web, as a platform for creating websites, enabled was the freedom for people to evolve the web into whatever it was they wanted it to be. And I think the same thing is happening today with social networking. Um, it's certainly in its very nascent stages, but I think that we, in three, five, certainly 10 years, are going to see millions of social networks for every conceivable niche, need, interest, language, location, passion, um, sometimes in some cases passions that you didn't really ever knew existed. Um, but that's really one of the beautiful things about the web in general and I think is absolutely going to happen with social networking as we move forward here. So Charlene told us to disagree a little bit, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to inject some interesting thoughts uh, or counterpoints. Um, I think if we're here in 10 years talking about profiles, uh, something really radically wrong happened. Um, or even websites or even social networking in general. Um, talk 10 plus years out and look at uh, something like Neil, Bi Neil Stevenson's book, The Diamond Age. Um, I think social networking is going to be woven into pretty much every product and everything we touch. It's going to be part of both our real world lives and our online lives. Because I think the thing that blows me away about the current social networking revolution is a lot of people look at it and don't realize that it's really powered by a group of people who grew up with technology completely at their mercy. You know, they use it as a tool, not fascinated by the technology. And I think in 10 years, there are going to be two, a couple more groups of people who are going to come up through the ranks who are going to look at this and say, oh, you know, what, what were we thinking back then? So I, I think the fascinating thing to think about in 10 years is not whether there will be lots of different social networks. I actually would posit there will be no social networks. We won't even think about it like social networks because it will be like asking somebody, you know, who owns your friends or your friends list or the list of people you care about. And that would be a very strange question today. I think asking, you know, what company owns your list of friends in 10 years will be a very strange question as well. You'll think, well, gosh, I do. And I can use that in different ways. I can use it for business applications to share with only the people that uh, are in my work, our office. Um, I can use it to share with a very small group of people, three of my closest friends from high school, or a very, very big group of people, you know, everybody I went to high school with. So I think it's a little bit different. Yeah, well, that's a great jumping off for my next question. Actually, somebody from Online Asset, which is, when I, the social networks that we see today become when will they become open? Because every one of you have closed social networks. So to some extent, well, Gina, to some extent, what's within what your network, yeah, though? How, how are you um, so think about your identity. I have a MySpace identity, I have a Facebook identity, I have a Ning identity, and I have to maintain three different profiles. Right. And it's pain, frankly. So what, do you see that evolving and changing? Because you talk about ubiquity, Dustin. You talk about something that's so universal that you won't even think about belonging to a social network, you would just belong. So how do you think that's going to shape out in the future? Anyone want to take a crack at it? Yeah, Dustin, since so you were talking about maybe it. Maybe I'll open myself off the bridge. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, um, the question she just asked was, was really appropriate, which is how do you, how do you define that? Um, and I think that the answer that all of us would have is we're really pushing the boundaries of, of what closed and open mean. Um, and certainly, if, if you looked at a closed platform five years ago, you, you'd see something really different from what any of our social networks are now. Now you, you sort of talk about, um, you know, what's your modernization strategy, what's your internationalization strategy, what's your platform strategy. Uh, it's very necessary that, that people can, can take their identities with them. It's necessary that they can supplement their identities in your main experience with content from elsewhere. Um, like one of the objections to the closed platforms before is that people have sort of been building up um, 
you know, this huge store of information that then becomes a barrier uh, if they want to transition somewhere else. And you'll see on Facebook that um, instead of us building all of the applications that would capture this information, we're now letting a lot of other people build that build those applications without having to convince the user to reestablish an identity, reestablish their, their graph of friends, um, and keep everything with, with one store. And, and those applications will be able to transition between the, the larger social networks with, with a lot greater ease than the users can. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's a really good answer. It, it's a really interesting question uh, that you posed. And it's funny to hear it now, because when we started up MySpace, and, and the thing that was really radical about what sites like MySpace did was the fact, and what a lot of other sites are doing now, is the fact that we were so open that you know, we gave users the freedom to write HTML code. You could embed you know, widgets or other products from anyone on the web who was creating one, and created this basic open canvas for users to do whatever they want and express themselves in a number of different ways ways that were never possible. And people don't think about it a lot, but that was actually really radical when it happened for people to be able to, to really open up their platform and do that. Um, the idea of, of taking a single identity and being able to use it across multiple things, you know, I guess it's sort of like the passport idea or the, the dream of what passports well, are supposed ID, to be. open ID, for that matter. Or open ID. Um, I, don't know if I don't know if it'll happen or not. It's a fairly complicated, you know, technically very complicated. There's a lot of privacy issues in those things. Um, but I think it's an interesting concept. I'll be interested to see if it does so, happen. So I totally disagree with the idea that people want a single profile. I mean, think about, I mean, it's interesting. We actually allow you and, and enable you to have kind of one sign-on for managing multiple networks. And the number one question that we get is, I want to have different photos for different networks that I'm on. So I think it applies when you're signing up for three or four sort of generic, one-size-fits-all social networks. But the identity that you want in the context of one social network that is um, built around you know, people who are passionate about wakeboarding may be fundamentally different than the identity that you would want around uh, or within a network where you are uh, an independent journalist. And so I, I think it's a little bit of... Um, you know, the concept of if you're signing up for three or four or five different networks that have no differentiation to them, then perhaps you're absolutely right. But I think that, you know, people in the real world have different sides of themselves that they show to different uh, groups, different people, different communities. And I think that, you know, that's also something that is very important to pay attention to. But, but I think that's not an identity problem. I, I think that's a... I want to go out with my friends from college and you know drink beers at a football game, or I want to go to a conference and you know talk about social networking, right? So, to me, that's much more the group of people I'm expressing to, and, and in some ways, that's a division of a bunch of social, different social networks, right? And I might be, I have a dog, so I might be you know friends with a bunch of people in the dog park. Do I really want them to know, you know, what do I do over here? What else you're and I don't put on a mask, right, and, and say, well, you know, today I'm Carl the dog guy, and tomorrow I'm, you know, Carl the CEO. And I think that's one of the interesting problems we're all going to have to be faced with in 10 years, right, is that um, these social networks are going to be really lightweight. They're not going to be heavyweight like they are today. We're going to join them and leave them very, very quickly, just like we do in the real world. And, you know, who knows? I was just starting to think about, like, a counterpoint to, like, these social networks being stored in the databases in the cloud. Maybe you'll wear them, right? And you've got these, these clothing with computers and networked and all that stuff. 
I mean, hey, a lot of these social networks evolve out of real-world real social events. So if I meet somebody, I can you know, shake their hand and maybe our, you know, our fibers like, talk to each other and say, hey, I want to be your friend now. I don't know. Anybody developing that out there? So, go ahead. I think that's a great question, and we talk about it a lot. There's something we call internally that's the portable profile, and I've been talking about it for years. I do think it does not make sense if you have multiple social networks to have to check your inbox, uh, republish a blog if you wanted the same blog on all of them for whatever reason. I mean, there are, but I do agree with you also that your identity wants to change. So the way we see it is there should be a portable profile where you're allowed to pick and choose. So you may have multiple pieces of content you want to just keep there. You might want to have all your emails sent there. But when you respond, you may respond as the surfer guy from your surfing website and as you know the uh, hiker from your hiking website. So. What, what we are creating, because we own these multiple niche verticals under on one social networking platform, is the ability to log in with one identity, just like Gina was talking about, and then be able to select that, hey, when someone sees me on the gardening site, I'm Richard the Gardener. When someone comes in and sees me on our casual gaming site, I'm you know, the casual gamer. So I think there's a mix where you can make it much more sense for the consumer, and at the same time, let them keep their unique identity per website. We, and that's a project we're working on right now. I want to move on to um, the topic of money. Um, because one of the questions um, that's been polled out there is, what does social networking 3.0 mean? And 33% of people are saying it's new ways to monetize. And so one of the questions, uh, you're, all of you are primarily um, advertising-driven, um, to some extent a little bit of transaction-driven um, in terms of private social networking. So what do you think the money is going to be? Again, far again in the future. Is it going to be pretty much the same business model or are there going to be different ways? Well, I mean, I can say, I mean, the, the advertising model on, on social networks I think is going to be here for a long time. And if you look at, you know, what people are doing with the Internet and what pe where people are spending their times, they're all on these social networks. They're spending massive amounts of time. We talk to advertisers. We have 120 million people coming to the site. If you want to reach a consumer, you need to be advertising on MySpace. Um, I do think there will be other models that emerge from there. I think that you know, we're looking a lot at things of commerce models and how do you create uh, e-commerce models around social networks. Um, hopefully, we'll have some interesting stuff that we can, we can show on that. But I, think, I don't think advertising is going to go away. Just, uh, just to follow up on that, when you're talking about e-commerce, are you talking about like group buying or social buying? I think it'll be, I mean, if you think about when you want to buy something, you know, you always feel better spending your money if you're buying from a trusted source. And there are brands that we trust. You know, if you think of like a brand like Amazon, you feel comfortable buying. Um, when you talk about buying between individuals, you know, user-generated commerce essentially, you always are going to feel more comfortable buying from someone that you know or someone who is a friend of a friend of yours. And it creates, I think, a level of comfort that will make people more comfortable, you know, purchasing and transacting between individuals. And I think when we think of you know, commerce in a social networking space. I think that's the kind of vision that we're imagining. So I was going to say, we're all transactional based. So we don't have any advertising revenue other than some small promotional stuff that we do. Um, so we, we firmly believe that a, a different business model in this space um, is to work on the idea that self-expression is a very powerful concept, as Ryan was talking about, or Travis was talking about. And to take people away from the idea that they have to do it themselves and that they can buy forms of self-expression in the virtual world just like they do in the real world today. So you buy jewelry and watches and clothing and stuff like that. Um, we believe there's a world five years down the road, maybe three years down the road, 
where the most common thing you do on a social network is you buy the things that you want to kind of dress up your profile and the applications that you need um, in order to do that. And for us, it's, we think it's very synonymous to the ringtone market, right? The ringtone market here in the United States wallowed without a commerce model that was really integrated into the phone and made it really, really easy. And that's, that's the tough part, making it so easy and so simple that somebody can click on something and just buy it and put it on their profile. I think if I had to choose between the ringtone market and targeted advertising, I'd choose targeted advertising. Um, I, I think it's a gigantic market. I think the, especially as people are spending more and more time online, I think generally speaking, you know, the opportunities for uh, a, an advertising and monetization model that is working today across the web, um, you know, one of the things we're seeing with, you know, with Ning today is the fact that you know the advertising because the networks are keyword based on in a lot of cases the advertising is also keyword based and very very targeted and we're seeing that in our effective CPMs and I think that the market and the opportunity to take uh, what is happening with AdSense and what is happening with AdWords generally and bring that into social networking I think it's going to happen on Ning I think it's going to happen on on Facebook I think it's going to happen on MySpace. Um, is just a pretty significant market, especially when you look at the overall market size and trends. You've got 1.2, 1.3 billion people online, and less than 15% of that market today has experienced and you know, participated in social networking. So if you take a, a monetization model that's working today um, and generating significant amounts of money and apply it to a market that is only going to get more and more sophisticated in terms of targeting advertising, uh, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting place to be from a, from a revenue perspective for quite some time. But they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, eBay, SciWorld, World of Warcraft, um, Penguins, I mean, these are massive companies. Um, and so I think what we'll see is lots of different, and maybe even hybrids of both, right, where you can watch ads and put money in your account because you watch ads. Tons. That's exactly, yeah. there you go, exactly. Awesome. Dress up your profile by watching ads. So I'm going to jump in just because I'm sure everyone's interested in this topic around Facebook for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I think targeted advertising is really important, but I think it, it's also important to think about ways that the, the current existing business models can be augmented by social networking. Uh, when we were building platform, like one of the examples we used to talk about all the time was Netflix, and, and we said to ourselves, you know, what tools does Netflix need in order to sell more DVDs? Like, how do you, how do you get that dashboard page that's like, here are what all of my friends are renting, and, you know, how can the information that we have even surface better recommendations for, for things on top of those. Um, and, you know, I, I really believe that if they do integration with, with that type of information, they will make more money than they are today. Um, I'm going to ask one quick other follow-up question, and then we'll take some questions from the audience. Um, Gina, Carl, you guys were both talking about um, the growing, the growth of this market. Right now, it's pretty young, um, incredibly young, and it's at, but it's actually growing very slowly, um, it, and sort of fits and spurts into an older demographic. People like me who are actually spending more and more time on these things. What's it going to take? What's it going to look like 10 years from now? You, Carl, you mentioned very provocatively that everybody will be in something like resembling a social network. How do we get to that point? I'm going to put you well, on Well, we're spot. trying to figure it out really fast. No, um, yeah, I mean, we spent a lot of time trying to, 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 to do that, because we're obviously very new to the game, and, and we're spun out of a research project. So um, there's a lot of uh, thinking around that. I, you know, I think 
a lot of it will be, well, it'll either be the typical thing, a big change, right? So it'll be DOS to Windows or something like that, where, where things will just, a whole new generation will wake up and say, this isn't working for me anymore. I need this to be more a part of my life. I need it to be more real world. I need it to be easier for me to use um, because they, they don't understand why it's hard. So, you know, and you could argue that that's around profiles or putting it all in one big data store or, or even the act of friending somebody is, is something that just goes away uh, and the social network actually knows. Um, so, you know, that's the tough part is predicting the future is, is really hard. Inventing it is a lot easier um, from yeah, some of the guys I know, right? I think going back to what I said uh, in the very beginning is to get a, an older demographic involved, even though, you know, 50% of MySpace users are now over 35, so it's already happening is it goes vertical. So you have a lot of, we just launched a site, golflink.com. Yeah. Golflink, right? Registrations went up from, call it 100 a day to 1,000 a day, just by giving people the ability to meet other people that are interested in golf. We've done the same thing in gardening. Registrations went up from zero to, again, thousands. We've done this in multiple verticals, casual games, gardening, hiking, all different types, and we're finding a much different demographic, people that have never before really been part of a social network. So as the long tail, Begins, gets more powered by a social network, you're going to find much more people that are willing to take a chance at getting on the web. And I think that's how you're going to see social networking. I'm really not pitching Ning. We're kind of no, doing the same I, thing. You know, I, I like it. Uh, yeah, that's great. It's cool. So I, I think we agree that yeah. niche social networks. Yeah, I actually I disagree a little bit. Um, although I do, I do think you know, there will be these vertical things. I think, first of all, social networking isn't as young as people perceive. And, and like Rich was saying, 50% of our audience is over 35. 75 is over 18, so it is a lot older than a lot of people think. But I also think that it's a pretty natural, you know, a natural evolution where the early adopters of most new technology are people who are young and feel more confident doing it. And it takes time for people to sort of adapt to new technology, especially older people. I can remember when email coming, came out and my parents said, there's no way, I, I would never need an email account, why would I need that? And the same thing with cell phones, and now they would never dream of, of going anywhere without their cell phones. I think social networking is a similar sort of thing where it takes a little time to understand what is the value and how can it enhance you know, what you're already doing with your life. And I think we're seeing definitely with MySpace, I think we're seeing across the industry a trend where more and more people who are, who are older are signing up and using it and actually having a lot of fun with it. I think it's happening today. I mean, and I think it's, my, my favorite example is there's a social network on Ning called Classroom 2.0. And it is comprised of teachers and educators who are interested in the practical application of technology. In, in a lot of cases, these are the same teachers that are pushing to ban MySpace at their schools. And yet they're participating in social networks, and they're participating um, in all sorts of new technologies. And I think that it's happening. It's happening today. I mean, we're seeing across, you know, across the board in terms of you know, our base We've got registered users in 176 countries. I mean, this is a global phenomenon. I don't think that it has, um, you know, age limitations at all. And I think that, you know, it, it is happening as we speak. Let's take a quick poll. For those of you in the audience here, a year ago, how many of you were active in a social networking site? Meaning that you went on there at least once a week. How many? Just show of hands. And how many of you today are active at least once a week? Let's see a show of hands. So a little bit more. It's getting there. It's about 50% more than it was a year ago. Yeah. 
And so the, the question, so you could hear it, is um, the interesting observation may be, though, and we probably can't do it in this audience, but I'd like to have you guys comment on this, is that a year ago, people were probably only participating in one, uh, maybe LinkedIn, maybe um, Facebook occasionally. People are active in more. Are you seeing a trend in that direction, that people are participating in more, actively more yeah. across the board? I think, you, I think you're definitely, I mean, we're seeing it. You can see it from the numbers people are doing. Yeah. See a, a, a question from the audience at all? Okay, it's hard for me to see. Anybody have a question? Nope. Um, over here in the back. With online gaming? Online gaming. Think about Club Penguin's acquisition today by Disney. Is that a game? Is that a social network? No, yeah. we do. It, it, I mean, again, if you believe that social networking enhances almost any experience, then uh, you're really going to believe that it enhances. And again, I'm talking about from a casual gaming standpoint, that it enhances the casual gaming experience. Um, we launched, actually, right when we sold MySpace, we launched the same social networking tools on a site called Grab.com. And uh, Grab.com is a social network for casual gamers, and it grew to about a million people in the first year. Uh, again, all viral, not marketing. It continues to grow. And it's all about when you play a casual game, you know, chat with your friends while playing, meet other people that play the games, compare leagues and ladders and scores. And the amount of time spent uh, tripled since they had more to do than just playing. It just makes a one-on-one -on -one experience more engaging. So uh, I really do think that that's probably where it goes. Um, and I just really feel the need to point out that at, at Facebook, the company right now, um, Scrabulous is, is this application that somebody <laughs> built that just lets you do a turn-based Scrabble game. And it, it's absolutely taken over. And um, you, you know, in a very real way, it's actually like helping unify the company because you'll end up like playing a game with, with people who sit really far away from you or that you don't get to talk to often. And then, you know, then when you like see them at lunch or something, then um, then you can say, oh man, that was like a great move yesterday. And, and uh, it's just been, been really cool. And it's definitely an enhanced experience because you're playing with, with people you know. You know it's interesting because um, you guys mentioned something interesting. A social network is kind of interesting because it's there. It's what you do on that social network. And anything can be enhanced with some sort of social tie into it. So gaming, shopping, so many other things. Um, right here in front. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> So people who are mooching up of your success, I guess. I mean, I, I think you know, if we look at, at MySpace, you know, MySpace has been an open platform from day one. And if you look at the companies that you know, have built businesses in part off MySpace traffic, you think of companies like YouTube or Slide or Rocky or PhotoBucket, Project Playlist. There are, I mean, they're literally an ecosystem of thousands of these companies. And you can watch on Comscore numbers and, and see them going up. Um, we aren't actively so much tracking what, you know, who's growing and who's not, but I think what we're definitely seeing is just this incredible flourishing of innovation. Over here, fun. Yeah. Okay, so the role of wireless and social networks in the future. Anyone want to comment on that? Um, 
I mean, wireless is a huge part of what we're doing at MySpace already. So we've launched, we have mobile and MySpace in the US. We're on all three carriers in Japan. We just launched in Australia. We're on five carriers in Europe. And you know, I think the applications itself are going to get a lot more sophisticated as networks get faster. But we've seen an incredible demand from our users of just people saying, you know, they started demanding wireless from us you know, a year and a half ago saying, you know, I don't have time to always run back after class to check my, my messages. I want to be able to check my phone, you know, while I'm going to class. And so I think that's going to be a really important part. And I think just the communication tools of being able to find your friends if you're meeting out at a club or to be able to, you know, upload a photo where you are and say, hey, we're having a really great time on the beach. Why don't you get down here? Um, I think you'll start to see that. And I think as bandwidth gets faster, you'll start seeing it more photos, more videos. We're already actually seeing that a bit in Japan. So is it really the bandwidth that's holding it back? Do you imagine that people will actually have social interactions completely on the wireless? Yeah, I mean, there are, we have a bunch of users in Japan who don't ever access the site via the PC. They only access it through mobile. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, there, Japan is always pretty unique in terms of, it doesn't always translate, but I think it's definitely possible people will do that. Yeah, especially, I think, with the rise of services like Twitter, but things are very ubiquitous, whether they're on the web, mobile, it doesn't matter where I am. It's my preference. Well, I, I think, too, you'll see the merging of the texting social network or the SMS social network that exists today and your real social network. Because in a lot of cases, particularly in high school and college, there is a texting social network through phones that exists, and then there's kind of the MySpace or Facebook social network. And everybody's done a pretty good job of integrating into that world, meaning putting applications on the phone that allow you to get to your stuff, but they haven't done such a good job of integrating your texting messages into your actual social network. So say you could say, hey, you know, here's a text conversation I want to see on this blog, or I want to comment on this photo on the phone through, through text rather than doing it through some other method. I have a question right here in front. Have you ever thought about changing the So um, social networking standing in the way, the name itself standing with yeah. industry. I, I, I think had, that's really true. You'll actually have a tough time finding the phrase social network anywhere on the Facebook site. Um, we, I think with the, exactly referred to it is, is a directory uh, that provides social utility. Um, and, and I think there is a stigma there that, that's keeping it from, from spreading through the different demographics. Yeah, the, the Pew Internet survey, I thought that was one of the most fascinating questions. I think there were three or four questions in, are you a member of MySpace? Are you a member of Facebook? Yes, yes, yes. Are you a member of Social Network? No. <laughs> I mean, I just love that. I think that's a good indication of how kids are viewing technology. It, it isn't about social networking. It's about being on MySpace or being on Facebook. Right, right. But the interesting thing is, I don't, I mean, I don't know who made up the term social networking. It certainly wasn't us. And I think it's probably the people <laughs> in the blogging bullpen up here who, who came up with the term. And I don't think, you know, I don't know what's, what's the proper name, but I think, you know, over time it probably will start to evolve or else people will just think of the term differently. I have a question over here.
So language not being a barrier in the future. Well, I think, Travis, that goes into your court, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's actually something we've started, we've been thinking about a lot um, because we are, we do have so many people in so many countries and, you know, it would enhance people's ability to communicate. So far, we haven't seen a tool that can do it very well. Language is, there's so much nuance in language and things that even within, like, in the Spanish language, Mexican Spanish is so different from Spanish Spanish or from South American Spanish. Um, but I actually think it would be a pretty cool offering, and I think it's something, you know, we may, we may dabble around in in the future. So we built, and it was actually really important to us to build uh, internationalization and localization into uh, Ning from day one. So one of the things that's been interesting as we've seen this evolve is, you know, changing it into any language that you want uh, your social network on Ning, you can change it, you can change anything on it really, um, but it's changing one file. And we have a drop down list of, of languages, but you know, what's been really exciting to see is the obscurity of languages amongst these social, <laughs> social networks that people are taking and translating. Um, and you know, it's sort of interesting to me that it, it, technically it's actually quite easy to do. Um, you have to take the time to do it, but you know, if you sort of standardize and, and make it a part of your strategy from the beginning, uh, localization is something that is doable today. I think that the real-time translation is absolutely somewhere we will be able to get uh, get to in the future. But I think one of the key elements of it is, you know, giving people the freedom to put it in whatever dialect, you know, language with with whatever characters that they want. And I think that's where you're really going to see the continued evolution uh, and adoption worldwide. I want to. Um I'm sorry? Can I ask about the B2B world? Can you give us yep. any examples of uh, That was my next question, so perfect. <laughs> so <laughs> we we've, we've seen a number of different companies use them for, uh, because on Ning on you can make your networks public or private, um, and a number of the private networks are company, you know, company directories, and basically creating a social network of employees. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure sort of beyond that or other ways in which, you know, a, a development firm can use a private social network to communicate and trade files and uh, connect with their various clients and customers. Um, but we've certainly seen a lot of companies do some pretty interesting things taking advantage of the ability to really define a social network in whatever way that they want. Yeah, if there's a truism about business enterprise, it's about let's see what's happening in the consumer space and then bring it back into the enterprise. I'm sorry, Dustin, you were going to say something. Um, I mean, I was just going to say, on, on top of like the, the transactional stuff like that, there, there's um, a lot of value in the social capital that you can generate between business contacts. Uh, I'm friends with all of our, our Microsoft partners on Facebook, and um, you know, I can see the stuff going on in their life and then ask them about it in person, and it kind of can bring uh, business transactions to, to a more personal level in the same way that uh, you know, maybe going out to a bar after the meeting 10 years ago might have done. Anybody else thinking about where the enterprise comes in into social networking? How is that going to look like? What will social networking look like within the business environment? You see more and more companies creating private social networks? I mean, I, I don't know if, I mean, again, it's this term social network. I think the tools are the kinds of things you can do where one-to-many communication or one-to-one -one or sharing different types of files, um, those kinds of things, I think, you know, are tools that can be really interesting and useful in a business context. You know, I shudder to think as, as a manager of 
given how addictive social networks are and how much time people spend on them, you know, that I could imagine it going terribly wrong and no one gets anything done. But um, I I think it's more about the tool set and it's more enhancing the ways that you're able to communicate and share you know, different things. Yeah, you know, I, I would actually characterize exchange as a, as a form of social network. It just doesn't have a very strong sense of identity. Um, but the, the types of things people are doing there, exchanging messages, setting up uh, events, um, sharing documents, th- those are all things that, that I think happen very naturally in any other social network. Yeah, one of the interesting examples we've seen is uh, at a large corporation, let's say it's 2,000, 3,000, or large, meaning you know, larger than us, um, or let's pick 20,000. The problem is the, the value in the organization is the people, and nine times out of ten, if you have a question, somebody in that organization has an answer. But finding that person is really, really hard, I mean, across all kinds of barriers and borders. And so that problem has been solved by a lot of people in the past thinking about bulletin boards and look at somebody like Deloitte and Touche or whoever who, you know, they, they farm these questions out to a group of people who claim they're experts in a particular area. But a social network provides a lot of opportunity for people to bump into each other or know about interests or areas of expertise that wouldn't naturally come out in their business profile or their bio. Right. And, and, and you, know, you can also think of it in a much smaller way. Instead of a big business social network, our product's channel, me.tv, which is why I keep pitching Ning. It's a, it's a similar product. It's domain focus that lets you build your own communication, right? Your own social network, lack of a better word, profile communication. And we're finding a lot of businesses are using that to communicate with their customers. So they're posting on their web. We have a, a, a group of accountants, believe it or not, in the UK that continue to post information on the accounting rules to show their customers how smart they are. And then they use the profiles and they use the friends list and they use their blogs as a way to promote their business. So, I mean, that is a B2B application among their customers. So we're finding that people are using it almost as a marketing device in a way to communicate with their customers. So marketing device, but also internal collaboration, knowledge management. It strikes me that uh, there's a lot of opportunity in the space, so we'll keep looking at it that way. Um, I want to just ask another question, and we'll take some more questions from the audience. What's missing today um, in this environment to really kind of realize what's moving forward. I mean, you're operating in this space on a, on, a, on a daily, hourly basis. What do you wish was out there in terms of tools, technologies, systems, ecosystem platforms, whatever it is, that you would like to see develop over the next, again, three, five, ten years? I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that at least, you know, we're doing and, and what is happening is happening now. You know, it's, this isn't some sort of future dream. I think, you know, it is, it is a very realistic uh, world that in 12 months from now, there will be, you know, million, millions of social networks. Um, and I think, you know, for every conceivable purpose, interest, it's going to be there. It's happening right now. So, you know, certainly, you know, more people getting broadband would be cool. But at the same time, I think that the opportunity just with what is happening online today is enormous, and it's also really fun. Well, let me rephrase it. Let me be a little bit more pointed. And, and I prepped you guys with this question beforehand. If you had $10 million to invest in the marketplace right now, and you could invest it in anything but your own businesses, okay, where would you stick that money? Where are the opportunities that you see developing? Again, you want the payoff in a couple years' time. Where would you put it? Right now, it's content that is made for the Internet. I mean, I think that's the biggest... Oh. Yeah. No, they turned your mic. They turned my mic off. They turned back on. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I think it's content that is actually made for the internet, right? I mean, there's no question that there's a lot of places 
where there's a lot of people very excited to share content, but a lot of that content is not very valuable, right? There's, there's really two layers of content. There's the content that's created by the studios, which, as we know, they're fighting to take it off a lot of the social networks or get paid for it. And there's, you know, a lot of the user-generated content that's just not useful. It's just for that one person putting a picture of themselves or them skateboarding. Uh, I think there's a lot of value and there's going to be a lot more value in internet-ready, internet-made content. And, you know, if, if we could invest somewhere, I mean, it's not, and we are investing in this, would be, you know, more content that's ready for the internet based on understanding what people want and fulfilling those needs. And I think there's a huge opportunity there because what we're talking about here is a huge communication device, a huge way for people to connect, but there's not a lot of really good content out there. And there's a lot of value in that. How do you define good? Well, I get asked that question a lot. So, so content that more than a few people would really want to see and content that advertisers would want to pay you to see. See, I would argue that a lot of that's happening, though, today. I mean, but I think it has to be sort of in, in context. So, you know, we've get, we get, you know, a social network for wakeboarding, for example. Um, we have wakefirst.com, and you know, there's all these pictures of these guys wakeboarding and doing super cool tricks. That if you're interested in wakeboarding, you know, on YouTube that content may just sort of be lost in the crowd. Um, but in the context of a passionate group of people around wakeboarding and the ability to take and pull in Google AdSense around ads for wakeboarding equipment, I would say that experience today is more compelling than sort of the throwaway or the thinking about video, for example, and amateur video, it's throwaway content that's on YouTube in sort of this general big mass. No, and, and I agree, right? But what I'm saying I know, is, you keep setting me up. It's no, awesome. That wasn't I purpose. totally appreciate no, that. You set me up on this one. But, but if you could buy mm -hmm. wakeboarding content that you had produced by people outside, that was specific for wakeboard. So you and I don't have to wait for these users to generate content and hope that Google AdSense monetized it. Right. But you actually can get, say, 100 videos just on wakeboarding. And you know you have advertisers that are tied to that. So you've got a predictable, repeatable kind of content. That's what I would, that's, that, that's what I would so invest in. So you're talking in. about content and advertising systems that remove some of the friction that's in the marketplace today? Well, what I'm talking about is okay. there's clearly advertisers are ready to advertise in social networks. Okay. So, I mean, we fought that battle. One of the hardest questions that I had to address in the beginning of MySpace was, will advertisers ever advertise on social networks? I mean, to now it seems obvious. You couldn't convince people. Nobody wanted to advertise on MySpace because they thought it was useless content, right? Well, what if there's a next level of content that advertisers are actually requesting as part of the social networks? Uh, I think there's a huge opportunity there. And, but it does take a platform, a system, understanding what users want and how they're going to consume it. And that is a big opportunity, is to provide that. And it's no different than what you're seeing in traditional media. Right. Content drives yeah. traditional uh, yeah. media. Just to come back to the point, would I rather have, you know, 100 videos of wakeboarding content that was produced by professional production companies? My answer to that is actually no. What I, but from my perspective, one of the benefits of it is that, you know, you and your friends can watch your own stuff. And I think the other benefit of it is, you know, the best content always sort of rises to the top. So I, I think giving people the freedom to create. And the other thing, I would have never predicted, and, and this is what's fun about having a platform, I would have never predicted wakeboarding was going to be like the place that you know, people wanted to create social networks. What's your funny? <laughs> it's okay. So. It's on the screen now. Oh, okay. oh, what, what was it? What did it say? I don't it's know. The comments on the side. Oh, this, oh this my God, that's this. so sweet. <laughs> is that what it said? Okay, let's move on. Dustin. Uh, I'm sorry, I just want to reemphasize Gina's point. I, I really agree that, that the, the right 
the way I think the industry will go is, is more centered around the user-generated content um, than, than content that's being, being produced. I think that if you, ha if you buy 100 videos, they'll be pretty good, but if you can get users to upload 10,000 videos, 100 of them will be just as good. This goes back to the, the question good I had, which so is, I'll answer, uh, okay, so, thank you. Um, your first one was, you know, what do you want? I want a multimedia runtime that can support some of the things we want to do. So from an innovation perspective, I think a lot of us want that. Um, $10 million, I'd split it up in $500,000 chunks and give it to kids building apps for Facebook or Ning or Wallop or one of these platforms, right? I, I just, I think the innovation is going to come from the group of people who are living and breathing this every day. We see all the time. I'm sure everybody else here sees this great innovation that comes up. And, and honestly, it's, it's tough for us to sit up here and be able to say, oh, that's the killer app. The killer app, actually, it's not just the content that's going to come from that generation. It's, it's the applications. Anybody else want to take that $10 million check? I, I actually liked the comment from the peanut gallery up here. Uh, hot or not, but for China. <laughs> no, I actually think... I, there's, there's a lot of funny comments on here. I actually think I would probably invest it outside the U.S. and I'd invest it in, you know, I'd look in Europe, I'd look in China, I'd look in India, and a lot of these emerging markets, we're just seeing an incredible flowering of A, economies, and B, people using things, doing things on the internet. And I think there are a lot of really smart people in a lot of these emerging markets who are coming up with new ideas and new things to do on the internet. And I think that a lot of the innovation we're going to start seeing coming out of those markets. I just want to, you know, really agree with Carl that, that if I had $10 million to invest, I'd be putting it straight into the ecosystem because the value that can be created there is quite a bit larger than the value that can be created in, in any one of these companies. And I would echo that, and I would go even further down because you're, well, you're basically talking about our developers, and I always, I kind of look at this, I'm not a developer. I can't write HTML worth beans. I don't know JavaScript. But I have a lot of ideas in terms of what I would like to see developed out there in social networks. So actually turn that level of innovation back to the consumers. And there are very, very few platforms out there now that allow people, at the beginning, to be more. Um, I can go on, I have my mommy group on Ning. So, but it, thank you. But it's, it's, I want to create more. I want to be able to create the Facebook applications. I want to be able to create the widgets that go onto my space. So I think there's some interesting opportunities out there for that. We'll take a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. Anyone out there? So over there in the white shirt in the back, hands way up. Yep. Is there a question, question for the panel? Yeah. But how are you guys going to integrate your site to make it all go mobile? People are carrying it around. We sort of went, but any other? We sort of talked about this before. But any other thoughts about? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm you know really passionate about mobile myself, um, and I encourage you to, to check out the the range of uh, features that Facebook already has for mobile, and, and I'm sure everyone here has has mobile features. And I think you know you're right that the the important point there is is the computing power, um, and I think the industry is a little behind there um, on on what the devices can do, uh, and so so little of the population has the smartphone devices that can, can that can do quite a bit more. But that's definitely the way it'll go. 
Um, and we're already thinking about ways to enable platform on mobile and enable other companies to be creating an ecosystem there as well. And I think it'll happen really quickly over the next couple of years. What's interesting is watching the carriers and the handset companies like Nokia trying to create their own systems for people to connect to as well. Um, I want to make sure I get some people over here. Yeah. yeah challenge that in the following respect. Um, if we were sitting here and this was 1995 and you would be asking the same question about, well, you know, isn't everybody on AOL and CompuServe relative to the web, which then because it was a platform and because there was a huge influx of people getting more and more sophisticated as a result of these online services, you know, those little companies and those little things that people were starting with turned into pretty big things over time. And then the question becomes, did you have to catch AOL or catch CompuServe, or is the opportunity in the aggregate something that can be significantly bigger than those initial services? Yeah, I would, well, I would love to say that it is game over. I think the lesson from the internet, the lesson from the internet is that it's never game over. And, and you know, if you were to look at, at search, search engines and you know, when Yahoo came out of nowhere and became the number one, and then Google came out of, out of nowhere and overtook Yahoo. I think there, it is incumbent on, on all of us, you know, in this room to just continue to focus on innovation. And I think at MySpace, we really love the fact that there's a lot of different social networks, that there's all sorts of companies coming out because it forces us to think about innovation, forces us to continually think about how do we improve the product, how do we make the user experience better, and if you ever stop doing that, then it will be game over for you, no matter how big you are today. I think one interesting way to look at the social networking industry may be to think about it like the gaming industry and social networks as gaming platforms. So Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox. And if that's the case, and you look at how teenagers' ideas change of what's cool and all that, then it's all about building the really hot platform and then aggregating all the great developers around that platform and business people and creative people and then hoping that your platform can hang on long enough until the next one comes along. And th that may be a lot more how this goes just because of the way these things require a lot of effort to start up you know, and, and grow very, very quickly. But then they really become about the differentiation around the applications that people can build on these things. But of course, then the next guy who comes along is just going to pick off those top 30 or 40 developers and try to use them on their new platform. So that may be one way it goes. Yeah. But I don't, think, I don't think catching MySpace or Facebook should be the goal. And I certainly think you know, it's, it's finding new and interesting ways of taking advantage of the web, you know, the web native behavior people um, have been you know, implementing for a lot longer than, than certainly social networks have been there. Right, and I think it's really about how you define the game, right? I mean, you're saying the game over. I mean, Yahoo still is, what, the most trafficked website, right? Still the website, but I don't think anyone believes that Yahoo won, right? I mean, clearly the market fragmented. Google came in and changed the way in which the market works. So I mean, will there ever be another social network as big as MySpace? I don't think so. And I mean, Facebook may, but I mean, the top five, right? Facebook, MySpace, Bebo, and the others, they'll probably remain the biggest, kind of the AOLs of the world. 
I think the question is, is are there a lot more valuable social networks that can rise in, again, these niche or personal verticals? And I think the answer is yes, because those users will be extremely engaged, extremely passionate, and it's much easier for an advertiser to figure out what ads to run on a golf site or a hiking site than it is to figure out what ads to run on Facebook or MySpace, where you're trying to figure out why the people are there. So, I mean, the game's just starting. Yeah, and, and one of the things that kind of most off put me about that question was, was the notion that if, if you're not Facebook or MySpace, there's not a, biz, a big business to be had. You, you might have said the same thing about Windows 15 years ago, um, and, and look at the, the massive uh, companies that have, that have come out of that ecosystem, whether it's like you know, Dell or, or HP or, or software companies like Adobe. Um, these, these are giant companies making billions of dollars, and, and they're not the platform. The platform doesn't even necessarily have to be the biggest part of the, the economy. Yeah, and I think there are some really powerful players out there still who haven't really right. come into the space. Google, Microsoft in a big way, Yahoo, AOL, forgiven where they are. So um, at that actually, point, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, would, I mean, they actually have all made four ways in there, MSN has spaces, yes. AOL, I can't remember what theirs was called, that Google has Orkut, and they've had trouble sort of making traction in this space, I think, because the way they were looking at the world is much different than the way folks, like the folks on this panel, look at the world. Okay. So at that point, we're going to wrap up. Thank you very much to the panel.